Welcome to the Salt Lake Christian Center podcast. We're a network of language churches worshiping together as one. It is our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Now, join us for one of our weekly sermons. We will first be going to Ephesians chapter 2. There are several uh, scriptures that we're going to, uh, to go through. In uh, 1974, when I was in Bible college, one of the um, roommates that I had at that time handed me a book, and it became one of my favorite commentaries. And I tried to find it but I've given my whole library away. And so I have it on Kindle. I could show you that it's, that it's on Kindle. But this book was written by a man who was in prison. His name was Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee became a Christian in mainland China in 1920. At the age of 17, he began writing that same year. Throughout the nearly 30 years of his ministry, Watchman Nee was clearly manifested as a unique gift from the Lord to his body for his move in this age. In 1952, he was imprisoned for his faith. He remained in prison until his death in 1972. His words remain an abundant source of spiritual revelation and supply to Christians throughout the world. During Watchman Nee's imprisonment, he was confined, but his ministry was not bound. Under the Lord's sovereignty, his ministry has spread throughout the entire world as a rich supply of life to all seeking Christians. His ultimate burden was the thread and was the spread and the building up of the church as the house of God, God's tabernacle. Although his own earthly tabernacle or his physical body has been taken down, the building of God obtained through his ministry remains and still is growing and spreading throughout the earth. By the time Watchman Nee was arrested in 1952, approximately 400 local churches had been raised up in China. In addition... Over 30 local churches had been raised up in the Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and Indonesia. Today, there are over 2,300 local churches worldwide because of the rich and faithful ministry of Watchman Nee. Now, he's written over 40 books, and I've read four or five of them. But reading his book of commentary on the book of Ephesians was what had impressed me at the time as a young uh, theological student and pastoral ministry student. And this is a commentary of the book of Ephesians that only has 78 pages. <laughs> now, if you're familiar with commentaries, um, they're usually about that thick. Pastor John Anderson has several commentaries. He reads commentaries for pleasure. 
He sits out around the fire with the dogs and he opens up a commentary of Hosea. And it's all marked up. And those commentaries are really uh, technical and deep. But this commentary, 78 pages, the name of it was this. Sit, walk, and stand. Sit, walk, and stand. Watchman Nee divided the book of Ephesians into those three words because those three words are used over and over again. One of the good ways to do Bible study is to read the Scripture and see what word is mentioned over and over. And that word mentioned over and over, that's something you should probably stop and look at those words. And so he divided Ephesians 1 through 3, and the title of that was Sit. Now, I want you to understand that he's writing this in prison 1,900 years after Paul the Apostle is in prison writing what we call his prison epistles, of which Ephesians is one of them. And so Paul is writing his letter to the, to the Ephesians, and these are the words that he uses over and over again in the book of Ephesians. And so Watchman Nee does this. The first three chapters, he talks about sit. Let me summarize what he means when he talks about sit by reading just part of those scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. I don't have the scriptures on the screen. Hopefully next week they'll be blazing up there. Uh, but I do have the, the, uh, uh, where it's found. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... One of the great conjunctions in the Word of God, when you see that conjunction of phrase, it actually was the first beginning name of Master and Mender, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that's just a little part of, of, the, of the book of Ephesians that talks about our position in Christ. Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about our position as born-again believers in Christ. And that position is that we, He, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, we are in Him. He is seated there next to the throne of God, and we are His. In John chapter 13, He calls us friends. He calls us brothers. He calls us family. He calls us that we're no longer sinners. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what, with your acceptance by faith of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, your position is no longer in a position to obtain wrath or death, but to receive life. Well, hallelujah. You're kind of dead this morning. <laughs> Are you happy to be in Christ? Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the sad part. The sad part of this is a, a dastardly, demonic, um, a theological position that would take us being in Christ to mean something that is focused towards us and something that would call it a name it and claim it or blab it and grab it that, that because I'm seated in Christ I should be living wealthy and I can, I can do all of these things and, and I, I claim that I am a child of the king and because I'm a child of the king I'm going to act like I'm a king's kid and I'll get whatever I want. You know what that is? That's a sense of entitlement. That's not what Paul or Watchman... Listen! This guy is writing his commentary from a prison cell. Paul is writing these scriptures from a prison. He's chained. And he's chained to a Roman guard. And yet he writes with a full power of the Holy Spirit that and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked follow the course of the world following the prince of power of the air among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh and children of wrath but God being rich in mercy you want to believe he's rich in finances he absolutely is but you can have all the finances in the world and still die and go to hell without God. 
And so he's not talking about the financial wealth. He's talking about the incredible depth of our position in Christ. That Jesus Christ took my sins. That Jesus Christ took all of the horrible things I've done. That Jesus Christ took everything that I have and everything that I am. And he sacrificed it on the cross with him. And he buried it. And then he rose to new life and invited me to sit with him. In the realms of heaven. And in glory. Now listen, that, there's a time coming. We talked about it several months ago. There's a time coming when Jesus comes back. And he resurrects. And gives us new life. And we physically rule and reign with him. That's not what this is talking about. Yes, there will be a time. But this is a time that, he, that Paul is talking about and writing about that said, when you were in your trespasses and sin, he loved you. He rescued you. And he gave you the privilege to sit with him in the presence of God. I got to tell you to put money and wealth and land in that position is hesiarchy. You know what hesiarchy is? <laughs> okay, let me tell you. Heresy is wrong. A heretic is someone who misquotes the word of God, mis uh, misuses the word of God. But a hesiarch is the pope of heretics. How could we be so low? How could we treat the sacrifice of Christ on that cross? How could we treat... Treat that like it's just something that gives my pocketbook or gives me wealth or asks for me to have health and I can have health, wealth, and be wise. How can we treat it that way? When really the greatest part of that is that he's come to give you life and that life more abundantly. So, Watchman Nee talks about, and I'm still on my introduction. I haven't even started preaching yet. So then he goes to Ephesians. So he talks about our position in Christ. And then uh, in sit, walk, and stand, he starts with the, with the fourth chapter of Ephesians and talks about walk. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. That's pretty exclusive, wouldn't you say? Yeah. 
For the person that says all ways lead to God, I don't think so. I think this is him, and he says he is over all, in all. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, is over all, all, and in all. But grace, there we are again, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So grace was given to you not by whatever measure you've used for others in forgiveness, but grace was given to you by the measure that Christ used. Let's go on because he talks about that measure. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, in saying he ascended into the uh, okay, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this is Jesus Sacrifice on the cross, descending into the lower parts of the earth, talking about Sheol and death. But he was resurrected. Why was he resurrected? He was resurrected so that you and I could participate in the life that he is giving that is an abundant life in his grace and his mercy. It has nothing to do with wealth and land. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the lavishness of His grace and His mercy. And He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. He gave that to the church. What did He say? So this is the walk The last part of what we read, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk is a verb. Walk in this sense. Walk is a verb that says, get up and get going. You have sit in the position of Christ. And so as a new Christian, that's where you are. You need to sit. You need to learn. You need to learn the simple precepts and sitting there. You don't need to be in ministry. You, all of us serve in different, in different aspects, but there's a part of, of, uh, of sitting that makes sure we understand the principles of the Word of God by sitting in His presence And the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42 says that they were listening to the apostles' teaching. And that is a position as a new Christian where you need to be absorbed in the Word of God. 
listening, reading because of that walk. And so he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he uses the word walk in, in two senses. Um, and we'll, we'll look at that this morning in the two senses of the word walk. First is the literal sense. The literal sense of uh, walking. One of, one of my favorite church historians, he's actually not an historian, he was a sociologist for, the, for Baylor University, and he's written several books on the history of Christianity, Rodney Stark. And in his book on the rise of, Christian, of Christianity, he talks about the transient manner of the church, the transient manner of, of the gospel being spread, that they actually walked. Okay, we've, we've, we've talked about, we've talked about the, the journeys of Paul. Do you realize that in his years, Paul walked over 10,000 miles? Walked in sandals. I don't think I'll go to church today. It's a little... There's just, it's a little snow. Now, we, we canceled church because it wasn't a little snow, okay? Well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, if I want, this, this, this is, and so what Rodney Stark talks about is the history of Christianity is a history of migration. And how that in the migration of the ancient world, in the Roman world where they had, paved 50,000 miles, lineal miles of, of road, and that road was not, was not only paved, not with asphalt like we have, but with the bricks and, and mortar, and those 50,000 miles were paved so that you could migrate, you could, you could go from one city to another, and then the Roman guards were there to protect and, and, and so forth. And so Christianity spread from the day of Pentecost. The, from the day of Pentecost when it says that there were God-fearing men from every corner of the earth when the Holy Spirit fell. When Jesus died, rose again, the Holy Spirit fell. Then what happened? It said they went everywhere preaching the gospel. What a coincidence. What an incredible coincidence that all of this takes place in a great migration of peoples. And in that great migration of peoples, when, um, when we were in Kiev, Natalie, nice to have you here. Thank you again for the Christmas tree. Um, Natalie is from, sorry, is it okay if I say this? 
<laughs> yeah, right. You're standing on the, on the broadcast and you're asking if it's okay. When several years ago on our way to Israel, then we stopped, had an eight-hour layover in Kiev. And they booked for us a tour of Kiev. And so we got, went out, got in the bus, and we went somewhere in Kiev to a Christian uh, church, a gigantic uh, Catholic church, I think it was. Maybe not. Anyway, it was a big church. And so we're going around touring all of that. And then just before, well, after we got on the bus, then Dr. Crowder told us, the story of the gospel coming to Ukraine and how that in its infancy, and he traced it from the day of Pentecost to the words and the, and the country, and I can't repeat it. I'd have to get his, uh, his cassette tape, and I don't have a cassette tape player anymore for what he says, but how... Even to, those, even to those lands. So all of this migration in a transient society, the Holy Spirit used and inspired Paul, and they walked. They walked. Well, they took some ships. But other than that, they walked. That's a literal way of walking. Why? Because... In the Christian beginnings, there were all of these outposts that had received the gospel, and Paul and Barnabas, Silas, and Peter were, or, were ordained to go out and teach them what this was all about and what, what this gospel was. And so they wanted to go out for fellowship, for networking, for encouraging each other, and just to be with each other. This is the way one of the commentaries puts it. St. Paul is the greatest Christian missionary ever, playing a pivotal role in the sharing of Christ's message in the earliest days of faith. Using the vast network of Roman roads and at times the sea, he traveled to what are now modern-day Israel, Syria, Turkey, Greece, and Italy. His long and arduous journeys are described in the Acts of the Apostles in surprising good detail. Biblical scholars, by studying his roots as mentioned in the Bible, have calculated that St. Paul traveled more than 10,000 miles by foot. That's the equivalent of walking to and from New York to Los Angeles four times. But these were not leisurely strolls. His path was constantly beset by danger and hardships. St. Paul described some of the dangers he encountered. We read it last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of all the things that were, that were taking place. You see, this is why in the, the book of Acts that hospitality becomes important to the cause of Christ. Where hospitality is, is given... Now, we don't think of it that much, but these guys traveled. Do you know Paul never stayed in a motel? He never did. He never stayed in a motel. Why? Well, I, I don't know if they had Hiltons back then. They did have caravanseries. 
Uh, but so when he went to a place, he did two things. He would, he would go to the synagogue to meet with the Jews, and then he'd argue with them. Sound like some family members for Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know. Hey, let's go, let's go over there and then let's argue. Well, he went to the synagogue to find people, but then he would also go to different places that they knew were places of privacy and prayer, and he would go to there to find people hungry for Jesus. And that's how these churches were started, and that's how these churches were were formulated. And that's why hospitality is so important in the Middle East, especially today. So that's walking literally. You know, several, just a aside here. Let me take a drink first. Nope, I'm going to put it down here. So... Um, I love to hike, and I set a goal uh, years ago when I came back to Salt Lake to hike every trail that I could on the on the Wasatch Range. And so I would get up in the mornings and uh, have my devotions, and then I would go out on trails up Mill Creek Canyon. Big Cottonwood Canyon, Little Cottonwood Canyon. Uh, and one summer, I decided that I was going to walk the Jordan Parkway all the way from Utah County to Davis County. Not at one time. <laughs> and so instead of going to the trail, man, I'm glad I live in Utah. Hiking those trails up there is like... Man, I'm sure glad I don't live in Texas. And uh, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to walk that. So I would go out every morning and I would walk uh, a ways <laughs> and then turn around and walk back. And I did. I accomplished that in, um, I don't remember when it was, a long time ago. So obviously. And... Uh, you know, here's the amazing thing, and I thought about this when I was studying for this. Walking the Jordan River Parkway gives you a sight of the culture of Salt Lake City that you can't believe. And so starting at, and I won't go through the, the whole thing, but starting in the, at the uh, Veterans Cemetery down... Um, at the border of Utah County and you walk past the Veterans Cemetery and then you walk into the polygamous community and the trail goes right through there and <laughs> uh, they have you can see on the fences don't come over here 
Okay, so anyway, you walk, walk by there, and you see in the Jordan River Valley these huge ranches out in Riverton. There's still some huge ranches and, and horse ranches and, and so forth. And you walk up there, and you walk into the, the technology, eBay, and, and, uh, and, and all of those things that are, that are down in, in Draper. And you keep walking, and you walk past golf courses, and here's central in the valley, there's a, there's a uh, bird watching club that maintains the trails between, I believe it's 5400 south and 4100 south, and it's there, so as you walk through there, there's the people out there looking at their finding the birds, and they're mad at you because you walk, if you're not on the trail, and you walk out there, they're mad at you. Why did you do that? You just sent away this Sorry. So, usually I would walk those trails uh, early in the morning before it got light until I got to about 13 South. You know what was one of the amazing things that that I saw in, I think it's somewhere 30th South, 21st to 30th South, is a gigantic garden that is put there and maintained by the refugee communities. The different refugee communities, I mean, it's huge. And they have it pieced out and they grow in their gardens there. And, and I went up there and walked in there and they're all I, I, anyway, it was, it was, it was awesome. So when, when you get to about 13 South to North Temple, I didn't walk that at night. In fact, I decided I was going to do it different. So I stopped at 13 South and went up North to, to uh, Davis County line and started walking back. And you walk back through all kinds of sports uh, complexes and so forth. And I walked the the North, North Temple area in the daylight. And I have to tell you, I was shocked, absolutely shocked at the homeless, the drug addicts, the drug paraphernalia all over everywhere, people walking, dead, alive, and I, I, I mean, God really, really touched, touched my heart with that, that Lord, we, we have to, God help us know what to do. So physically walking, then these guys see the culture, they can see what's taking place, and, and uh, I developed a prayer chart, and I haven't done it in a year or so, but I developed a prayer chart on my path from about Salt Lake, Salt Lake Valley and pray for each one of those in my, in my prayer time. I have, I've set it aside, haven't done it for a while. But just talking, just talking about it. Dear God, dear God, Help us. Help us. 
And then it also even made me madder for the Christians that want to talk about wealth and health. Anyway. But there's a second part of walk. And that walk is a metaphorical walk. When the New Testament, especially many times through the through Paul's writings, and he's talking about walking. He's talking about metaphorically walking, and what he's talking about is that our walk is our manner of life. How, how we live in a hostile world. How we take the gospel in our own, uh, own circle, in our own business, in our own family. And so, Here's what what he says about it. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1 and and verse number 27. He says, Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So in other words, Paul is saying, as you're metaphorically walking through this life, make sure that your behavior and your manner of life is worthy of the sacrifice of that cross. That your behavior and your manner of life is not embarrassing to the kingdom of God. When I was 16 years old, um, man, I'm telling a lot. I'll hurry. When I was 16 years old, I preached a revival. And that revival was in Price, Utah. Um, and I preached a week-long revival. And it was great. I loved it. So on uh, Monday morning, the pastor wrote me a check to pay for my expenses and honorarium and so forth. And he wrote it to Reverend Ray Smith. Now, I was a long ways from being a reverend. I wasn't a reverend until I was 23. So, uh, you know, he wrote Reverend Ray Smith. So <clears throat> I went into the bank to cash it. And so I walked up to the counter and I turned it over and I signed it, Reverend Ray Smith. <laughs> And I am not kidding you. I can remember today as she takes this check. And she puts a little sign up in front of her that says, uh, closed. And she walks over. I watch her walk over to the, I don't know, the manager or whatever of the bank. And she goes inside. She goes inside this room and she hands him the check. And he looks it over. And then he looks out. And then, I'm, not t- I'm, t- I'm telling you the, the truth. He gets up from his desk and he goes and he parts the curtains. And people are standing behind me in line. And I'm thinking, whoa. So she comes back. And <clears throat> actually, the manager went over and made a phone call. And I saw him on the phone. And then he hangs up the phone, and he puts his little initials on the check, and she comes back to the, to the, <laughs> to the window. And I said, was, you know, my thinking is, 
this church doesn't have the money to cover this little bitty check. And it's a little bitty church. So, uh, man, I, I don't know what to do. And so I was stupid enough to ask her what the problem was. <laughs> okay. So she, she said, well, you don't look like a reverend. And I, I said, well, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm working my way. I'm working my day, way that way. And listen, as, as I went out of the bank and I walked up to my car and I had, uh, I had tinted, mirrored windows on the car that I had. That's the car that Kathy and I dated in. Anyway, so I walked up and as I was unlocking it, I looked at myself in, in the window of this car. <laughs> okay. I was wearing a green and gold Kearns High School basketball jersey. Over that, I was wearing this striped shirt, untucked. Okay. And... I was wearing old, beat up, uh, uh, you couldn't wear shorts at that time, it was a sin, so I wasn't wearing shorts, but I was wearing these old uh, workout, and I, I, just, <laughs> I stood there, and I, I felt like I heard God say, don't you ever embarrass me like that again, <laughs> and, and, I, and so I got in, and and I thought, oh man, me, maybe if I'm going to be a reverend, I ought to dress. Now look at this. I mean, you can, that was back when you had to wear the three-piece suits, you know? So, so Paul is saying, that's just a, an example of saying that making sure, and it's not dress, okay? It's not dress. It's not legalism. But he's saying in your walk, make sure that the manner of your life fills two things. One, that the manner of your life is a display of God and His love and His compassion for the world. And second, that your manner of walk and life is a manner that wants and shows and believes Jesus Christ came to die for every person on the earth. And God lavishly and graciously and mercifully gave you His wonderful forgiveness, not so you can brag on yourself, but so you can win others to Him. That is it. Let's pray. Lord, I surrender myself to you. God, I, all week long, you, you know, we've, we've worked on this, Lord, on, in my walk. And Lord, I, th I thank you that you've given us the position of experience your grace and your mercy. But Lord, I pray that we'll walk it out. That God will go across the street. We'll go to the next town. 
we'll go down to North Temple. Lord, we'll, you have given us such grace and mercy, Lord. Help me not waste it. Help us not waste it. In Jesus' name, stand with me, will you please? I'm going to dismiss without praying, without calling an altar call. I want you to think about it. Two things. Is my life an honest display of the mercy of God? Is my life an honest display of the mercy of God? And the second thing is, am I willing to walk out of my comfort zone and away from where I'm comfortable and take this glorious liberty and gift that God has given me into a lost and dying world? Will you do that? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of Salt Lake Christian Center. Have some fellowship. Shake a few hands. Hug a few people. God bless you. We'll see you next week.